0: Today on Maker's Cast, I talk Living in Los Angeles and Phineas and Ferb with composer Bethany Brenton. Welcome to this episode of Maker's Cast, my excuse to talk to interesting people in the name of marketing. I am Matt Pritchett, and I'm joined today by my friend Bethany Brenton. Hello. Hello, thank you for being here.
1: Of course. So much fun!
0: It's been a hot minute since we've spoken or seen one another. Uh,
1: yes, very, very true.
0: <laughs> Have not seen you in a while.
1: I've I've been gone for I think three years. I believe. Yeah, because
0: right. we graduated in like three year two months ago. Something oh, like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <It's... laughs>
0: Time moves it's, fast outside college.
1: It's it's scary and mm. it's it's odd. I was talking to someone uh, about it the other day because I'm in LA and the the weather never changes, which gives you an added aspect of i have no idea what time of year or day or week it is Mm. (laughs) so it's like oh three years oh i guess that happened yeah because
0: here you can tell by how damn hot it is
1: yes you're like hmm this feels like july damn hot not august (laughs) damn hot yet
0: so to the purpose of mentioning that we uh last saw each other at college i guess it's time to do the now recurring segment on this show which was (laughs) which is how did you get to belmont
1: how did bethany get to belmont um Uh, So I'm from Wisconsin, close-ish to Milwaukee. For for all of you non-Wisconsin people, that's where I describe myself. And I knew I wanted to go into music. Uh, So I was kind of looking at the typical music schools. Started in the wider circle generally and like even went crazy and threw out names like Juilliard because I had seen a movie or two where they mentioned the name Juilliard. Um, (laughs) Looked at that, quickly went, oh, no, that's not for me. Um, But I kind of narrowed it down to... Belmont, which I think was actually mentioned by someone in my high school, which is odd because I went to a very small high school of about 200 kids total. And so someone's mom found me and said, oh, music. My daughter goes there for like, uh, I think she was in the, the music business school, actually. But she mentioned it, so then it got on my radar. I was also looking at Berkeley in Boston. Mm-hmm. And then there was a school in St. Paul, Twin Cities, uh, called McNally Smith. It was, it was sort of like Belmont, where it was mainly music-focused, but like, generally new music focus less classical style more commercially stuff so I I auditioned for all three Um, I did get accepted to all three which is great Um, I was deciding kind of between Berkeley and Belmont and oddly enough Berkeley offered me like a little bit of a bigger scholarship Huh. And it still would have cost astronomically more to go right. there than right, to go right, to right. Belmont. Oh man. And and I, I did visit the Belmont campus and I, I really liked it. I think out of the out of the three places, Minnesota, Boston and, and Nashville, I think Nashville seemed the most
0: agreeable to me. So they've won more of us over with that campus I swear
1: they're so smart about it they're like look at all these beautiful flowers that you can run and frolic in by the way if you touch any of them you owe us $50 oh rats
0: (laughs) do not step on any of the greenery (laughs) stay on the pathways but yes we love them some some of the administrators may be playing some Alice in Wonderland-esque croquet (laughs) oh my gosh that's funny So what major did you start out as?
1: I began as commercial music, um, and there are like a hundred different emphases you can choose. I think there's only like five. I can never remember all of them. But uh, commercial music with an emphasis in composition and arranging. And I, I think I had gone in kind of deciding between doing that and then doing the, the now joke major um, <laughs> entertainment industry studies. No offense to right. anyone who's ever graduated with that, but it can kind of be used as like a, um, a catch-all for, for people who are like not sure what they want to do. Or if you want to like really focus on something, it's sort of like a design your own major sort of thing. Um, and I, I knew I wanted to go into film scoring or, or at least film and music or, or some, some sort of combination of the two. And so I had started in commercial music. I'm like, all right, I want to go into composition and then kind of see how I can fudge my way into the film side of things. And then sophomore year, lo and behold, Belmont, began their film program or at least like kind of officially started it seemingly out of nowhere seemingly very seemingly out of nowhere i and it's funny cuz i had done like a ton of research on on all three schools and like all their programs and oh are there any film schools nearby and do they have a film program and but and i had he- heard nothing about belmont film program I had heard that you could get a minor in film at Watkins and still mm-hmm. go to Belmont. And so I looked into that. I was like, eh, maybe, I don't know. Sit in the and, Rosa
0: Parks traffic for 30 minutes. Yeah, oh,
1: so not worth leaving campus. I didn't even have a car on campus my freshman year. So mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to do that. Uh, especially d- combined with a music major. I mean, the scheduling would have been oh god, awful. <laughs> but I... I don't even know how this happened. I think I was either approached by someone or I mentioned it to someone I was talking to, like Entertainment Industry Studies. And they said, oh, you should go talk to Will Akers. He's doing a film thing. And so I literally just sat down with, with uh, Professor Akers for maybe like one or two meetings. He, he kind of went around campus, I think literally to the dorms, and like said, okay, I'm going to talk about the film program for like half an hour, and then you can ask me questions. Mm. It was so very like out of nowhere. And so then I, I signed up for it, and then either, it was either beginning sophomore year, or, or like the second semester of freshman year was when like classes started to be offered. Right, uh, And I, I remember doing that because, and I had looked at this puzzle a thousand different ways, and hilariously, the only way that I could make it work was to get Two degrees oh, simultaneously. <laughs> I was like, "Can I major in commercial music and minor in film?" No. Okay. Can I major in film and minor in commercial music? No. You can only minor in classical music. Okay. Um. Can I? <laughs> could I take some film classes and sort of like fudge it in as a minor? No. I'm like, oh, all right. Let the I double guess, major
0: commence.
1: Uh. Du- du- and it wasn't even a double major. Like one degree. It was. You you are getting two degrees because oh, there's no true. other way to do this. I'd be in so two I different have schools. a yes, two different schools. I have a bachelor of music and I have a bachelor of arts. Yippee!
0: You got <laughs> in, the bu- and, you have the bu-bum.
1: I have the Bum. Oh my god, I'm gonna call it that from now on. <laughs> and I, I always joke I got two degrees in the two disciplines where no one really cares about your schooling.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh man. Yep.
0: Yeah, I, I went through a. F- semi-similar thing except i didn't go through with it because i heard about the film thing you know all right back back into freshman year as a lot of people did and you know i was an english major and at the Mm -hmm. time i was thinking more about whether i wanted to do a screenplay kind of deal right right so i heard that the film thing was going to exist sent uh will acres an email he's not he's not a doctor or anything right um no he's not Professor Acres, I suppose. Uh, and l- I just met with him over lunch, and he gave me, like, the overview of what the school was going to look like and seemed like the fairly typical, from at least my perspective, film school thing of you will learn how to do a little bit of everything.
1: Yes, yes. Which seems And that's, seems that's kind of the way useful. they were setting it up. It's yeah. it's honestly, and, and I mean, I'm out here now, literally, I mean, I, I kind of stick to the music side of things, but knowing how the whole process works is incredibly helpful. Because mm. <laughs> then you can... You can I mean, not necessarily, like, talk shop with other people, but you you know what they're talking about when they talk about, like, color correction and uh, Avid editing versus uh, Adobe Premiere editing and, like, slotting in different grades of film and, like, types of cameras. So it's like, I have a general idea of all of that stuff. Right. Which kind of, like, gives me street cred to Mm -hmm. a very, very
0: tiny, tiny, tiny extent. (laughs) Right. And film being like maybe the most collaborative form of art that exists, it helps to know a little bit of what your other people are doing.
1: Yes, exactly. It's nice to know where the thing has come from and where it's going after it leaves
0: your desk, for sure. And I guess the other thing Belmont gave you was, uh, was it a semester or a full year you did at Belmont West?
1: Uh, Belmont West was, oh, actually, so I did, I was part of the flagship uh, belmont and hollywood program q music mm. um which was essentially belmont west but over the summer and it ah. was it's kind of designed specifically for the film students to do so it's it's a it's from the motion pictures program um you you go out there from i think we were there you get may off and then we're there from like june through m- like half of august and then you have about like i think two or three weeks before you're back at back in nashville right um when i was there it was the first time they'd done it it was the summer before my junior year um and there were six of us total it was three girls three guys and so we had two apartments at the classic oakwood apartments in la it was and it it was really really fun i mean i think because there were so few of us it kind of just felt like we were like friends hanging out all summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I had, y- you kind of find your own internship or, or you get assistance from the school in, in kind of digging around and seeing like, oh, I want to go into screenwriting. Oh, you should probably do script coverage over here or like, oh, I know so so and so over here that could set you up. Um, so through Will, I actually got to intern at uh, Lionsgate in their TV music department, which was awesome. It was, it was cool. I was there, I think, about maybe three days a week. And then because I been over Worker, I almost said achiever, but that makes it sound more important than it is. Mm-hmm. It's not <laughs> but because I work too hard. Um, I, I wanted to find something a little more close to like music in the actual like making of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, so literally, this is hilarious. I just googled film music Los Angeles <laughs>
0: <laughs> Came and up one with of about a million results, f-
1: a million results. But one of the first results was um, the place where I currently work actually, it's called Joanne Kane Music Service. Oh, wow, um, and they're a music prep place Um, I I got connected with them uh, and and it was very very casual I would come by like maybe one or two days a week if they had any additional help they needed I kind of just like helped clean up their their back area I would catalog like iTunes CDs and stuff for them but that that's where I learned a lot of kind of the nuts and bolts of what goes into like recording a score and like Mm -hmm. literally physical pieces of paper being taped together and and booked up and given to conductors and musicians and then brought back um, so, yeah, that's that's what I did for that summer. And then in all my free time, I, I did all the touristy L.A. things. and It was a lot of fun.
0: Nice. <laughs> if you still work there, is that I, I seem to have some memory of, like, for outside context, the only time that we ever knew each other, hung out in college, was in that middle. Like, the one year between <laughs> your summer in L.A. and you leaving to move to L.A. again.
1: I think and
0: so. Did, was it sort of a... Like when you left they were like you can come back kind of thing
1: it was well i remember actually funnily enough lionsgate offered me a job like that summer because oh, wow. it, it was weird because the, the tv music department was actually like four people <laughs> <laughs> and so i was the fifth person and one of the four people just happened to be accepting a position somewhere else mm. um so it was really chill and they're just like yeah you're cool do you want to work here and I was like, oh, I don't know. And I talked to my parents. And of course, my parents are like, you should finish school. And then the the guy who was leaving was talking to me. He's just like, yeah, you know, it's, I mean, you should probably finish school. This isn't this isn't like one of those jobs that's worth leaving school for. And I was like, sure. all right, fine. Uh, and then with, with Joanne Kane, um, I kind of just kept in touch with them. Hmm. They they have a lot of interns that, that come through in, in the summer months, like from colleges and, and things like that. So I just kind of... Is stayed in contact and then let them know when I was graduating. Um, I had zero promise of a job <laughs> from them. It was it was it was very very vague as a lot of la things tend to be i remember talking with my now boss on the phone i'm like hey i'm graduating oh, i'm gonna be out there soon he's just like yeah just like swing on by i'm like okay <laughs> 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 i'll drive across the country to just swing on by the office <laughs> yeah.
0: and i did and <laughs> uh, did your car magically turn into a prius as you entered like the oh, co- as gosh. you entered la county
1: it's truly amazing. And you it, it's only white. You don't get to pick the color. It only turns into a white Prius as you drive through the dome of Los Angeles. <laughs> you mm. enter
0: the, the, the Stephen King-esque dome of <laughs> smog and sun.
1: As Hotel California plays in the
0: distance, yes. <laughs> and it radiates off of your white Prius.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, pretty gracious. much.
0: So, obviously, like, even going into Belmont, you uh, mentioned that you kind of knew the trajectory of film scoring as being what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So, um, a question that I like to ask film scoring people, because I know a lot of them, (laughs) is what's, if you recall, the first score you noticed while you were watching a
1: movie?
0: like That's a good question. Because I have that distinct memory for me of, like, watching a movie and realizing, oh, the music is... Really adding to this and making me note and feel this scene.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. What, what was the movie for you? I'm curious.
0: It was Back to the Future. <laughs> it was, you know, in the climactic, everything going wrong could possibly oh, yeah. go wrong, you know, him <laughs> driving toward the clock tower bit.
1: I, I could probably sing you that cue. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> For me, I'm I'm trying to think because um, I mean I, I grew up watching a lot of Disney movies, mm-hmm. um, mainly like uh, Sherman Brothers music, so like Jungle Book, and a little bit of Mary Poppins, not not as much, but I I kind of I I, I wasn't like a big princess disney disney princess person (laughs) i more like the like the talking animals and they they had a lot of they had a lot more songs in those i think anyways so I, i mean i remember like just being surrounded by that when i was growing up but the the movie i think that did it for me and i don't even know if this was on like the first viewing but um i remember seeing ratatouille oh man and the the whole movie just kind of blew me away and I I I, I didn't really know what to do after I had seen it. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's like someone had just like punched me in the face with 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 the movie, the I was like, oh, okay. Um, so, then I kind of just meandered around the house going, what do I do now? And so, I think part of my brain just became obsessed with that movie. I'm like, okay, I'm going to find about everything about this movie. I look at okay. IMDb and, uh, oh, Brad Bird. Okay. Cool. And then, uh, Patton Oswalt, he's the voice. And blah. Oh, and music. Okay, cool. And so, then I just kind of downloaded the album um, of the score by Michael G. Aquino. Mm-hmm. So, then, of course, I looked up Michael Giacchino stuff, stuff. And, and I was just listening to the album on repeat. And I think that's when I really started to get into it. Because... Just by listening to the score that they released, I could track the movement of the the film in my head. Mm-hmm. I could go, like, obviously, like, even aside from the track titles, I could go, like, okay, this is happening now, and then this is happening, and then, oh, this is when he's pausing here and he's thinking about this, and literally just, like, sitting in my bedroom listening to the album. Mm-hmm. So, that, that I think, was definitely the the first the first film that, that got me to think about that sort of thing. And I was already, I'd been playing piano since I was like four and I, I played French horn as well. So I think at that point my goal was I want to play on these movie scores. I want to like be a musician on these recordings. And I remember there was a, oh geez, this is going to date me. um Before before Facebook and, and, and Reddit and all these fancy ad-supported websites, there were a lot of there still are like a lot of just forums, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you you troll the the internet going like oh video game forums and oh chat rooms and, and AOL and things like that. But there's I'm I'll bet you it's still up and running. Uh, there's a forum called Pixar Planet. Oh my. Um. Oh my is right. <laughs> and so, and so it's it's just a place for like Pixar fans to come and chat and talk about things. And and tiny little baby Bethany was just like I want to be in film scores and this is so cool and don't you like Ratatouille, <laughs> and and someone. Someone messaged me on there and he was he was like very eloquent. I, I don't remember his name or like his username or anything. But he said, "Hey, so I'm actually a musician um and I I've, I've played on some of these scores. Um and and I see you're trying to do that. Like is is that what you want to do?" I'm like, "Oh my gosh, yes." And he's like, "Okay, I'm going to just kind of tell you what the system is like out here and 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 basically how that won't work." And he he was <laughs> he was very very nice and he was like not condescending at all he's just like the back in the day there used to be like uh, orchestras per studio like there'd be a fox orchestra and a warner brothers orchestra and universal and blah 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 he's like that kind of went away with like freelancing and studios didn't want to pay to have a whole orchestra so it's just all freelance musicians now they just hire a big group of like 80 to 100 musicians they record the music and then they go home I was like, oh, okay. And so he's like, if you really want to be involved, you can like compose or you can like work as an arranger or you can kind of do this and this and that. But he's like, but that's kind of how it works. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And so then from then on, I think that kind of, I kind of branched out and started looking into the different aspects of of how a film score gets made and all the hands that it passes through, so.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like particularly Ratatouille, like that marriage of Brad Bird and Michael Giacchino. Yeah. It's... It's a phenomenal movie. It is my favorite Pixar movie, which throws pe- a lot of people aback. <laughs> uh, it but- seems
1: to be like a movie that people forget about. Strangely, yeah. they just And, and not in a bad way. I think they just kind of take it for
0: granted. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that's one of those great Pixar movies. I'm like,
1: yeah, but... It's really, really great. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Like when they're doing the thing that I'm sure all humans do, which is regularly trying to remember the chronological order of Pixar films, as I do on occasion. (laughs) They probably forget that
1: one. They probably forget two thousand seven. I have it on (laughs) I have it on the poster in my in my apartment.
0: Yes. (laughs) But yeah, Um, I I can imagine that uh, listening to that score, like that that's one of the big things about it is because that movie was such a great marriage of really memorable imagery and really great yes. music so it's easy to remember both when you only get one
1: yes very 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 true Is yeah a- i remember seeing those Im- it, it's it's like when you remember seeing one of your favorite movies for the first time and you kind of wish you could like have that feeling again <laughs> mm. but like there's a few there's a few shots in that that i remember just like being blown away and i was like uh, 14 13 or 14 at the time and so yeah de- yeah definitely Definitely, image, images, and and
0: and audio
1: kind of spark off each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that the Remy chilling on top of a building, looking at the Eiffel Tower poster?
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, not, I mean that, but like in the movie, it's such a cool shot because oh, at that is. point, it's it's like a reveal and it's a big boom up, and so you you see you see Paris like as it kind of rushes into view, and of course that's when the the music swells and everything, and I was mm-hmm. just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> And he, I feel like he's one of the modern masters of having one theme that is used fifteen different ways in a score. <laughs>
1: That's true. He has, I think, he has like two themes in that one. Mm-hmm. But, but yes. I and uh, I think what you're talking about with with him and Brad Bird, it's easier to to write a theme, and maybe not write a theme. It's easier to use a theme in that way when the movie presents you opportunities to do that. That's true. And like, I don't want to. I don't want to get into film composer nerd territory but like a lot of a lot of composers today or or even a lot of just like people on the street will be like oh how come marvel movies don't really have like a theme for their superheroes or like i can't hum the captain america theme offhand," or blah 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 and and then everyone's just like oh man look at star wars look at star wars new hope like you can you can sing the force theme right away it's like yes you can if you go and watch star wars and you you can think of that scene where where luke is like looking out across the two suns and the force theme is playing Movies today don't give you those moments of like pause or like reflection or even like a big reveal is usually like in dialogue or it's just like a big pullback on like an image without a huge impact behind it. So if if there's no space for the movie to have a theme, it's it's gonna sound weird if you just try to like slot one in there. And so I think with exactly. Bradbird, I mean a- animation kind of in general, but yeah, Bradbird definitely gives equal weight to to the music as he does to the story and the characters
0: and the dialogue. I don't know if I've brought this up with you before, but are you aware that there are uh, the tangential, but I thought of it because of the Ratatouille poster. Are you aware that mm, there were some friends of mine in college who like saw you and like and how like how you dressed and being a tall, thin blonde person and went, (laughs) holy crap, a female Matt.
1: (laughs) I think Maybe. I think I you don't might have mentioned. This up. Maybe you might have mentioned it to me once or twice. I forgot, and that made me laugh so hard.
0: Yeah, but yeah, I would. Because we, we were we were both see doing that. like vests and fedoras, we're both and stuff. doing vests
1: and like occasionally I wear a fedora and like
0: converse and yeah. just. <laughs> and then, like, is that Matt. What? But then I think it was Kennedy. Like when we were both in the same dorm, like before oh, we right. hung out, and then we did like <laughs> uh, there was a weird thing where the, people could like sign up to have their dorm room on a tour. Like yes. for for the other people in the dorm, it was very strange yes. to me.
1: But I went
0: and I your room was in there because I knew your roommate because I was roommates with her boyfriend at the time. Right now
1: yeah. they're married. Yes, they are very recently. Congratulations
0: if they're listening. Yay! And I went in knowing that like you were her roommate and saw like a Ratatouille poster <laughs> and some Hatrania Dragon stuff and some Sherlock stuff and went, what is happening? How were they so right? <laughs>
1: How are you? How do you know all of the correct things to have? Because I remember, yeah, I remember doing that. Like you signed. I I think they were just trying to like break the ice with people in the dorm, and Mm. it was like they have to have so many activities per month or something. And and so it kind of started out as a joke between me and Sammy, my roommate. And we're just like, all right, we'll sign up on the tour, and like, we'll decorate and make it look all nice. And then it got progressively more intense, like, okay, I'm going to set the lighting to do this, and then I'm mm-hmm. going to turn this music on when people come in the room. It's just like, why are we doing this?
0: <laughs> because we ran on adrenaline and nothing else in college.
1: <laughs> just like, I have to put this energy somewhere. Uh! <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, and I'm pretty sure our first conversation was about Bioshock?
1: Probably. I think? I, I was a bit obsessed. With, I mean, I still am. God, <laughs> ah, those
0: games. <laughs> So good. Mm. Now, to that point, have you ever uh, wanted to do video game music?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I and I, I was at uh, WonderCon in Anaheim this past year, which oh, was wow. really really cool. I was, it was my first time I'd been to any like decent sized convention, so mm. that was that was cool on its own. But they had this. It wasn't even a panel. It was just like a room full of like people in the video game industry and literally they were just sitting at tables and then you would walk up to the person in front and be like, hey, I'm interested in like scripting or I'm interested in design or level design or, or script writing They'd be like, oh, hey, you should go talk to Brian over there and then you could go talk to the guy for like an hour. Um, and so I said, I'm interested in composing. And they said like, oh, go, go talk to her over there. And I talked to this very, very nice woman who works at I think Sony's game department and she's she's one of their one of the people on the audio design team. I think just overall, maybe not necessarily for a specific title, um, but she was kind of talking about it. And it's it's a very very different path from uh, film scoring, mm. or may, maybe not path, but workflow for sure. And and she was saying you almost create sort of like concept music because you you might be given like a, a script or, or just like a description of like the level per se or or where where the character is going and what they're supposed to be doing. But you you probably won't have any video or any gameplay at that point because they're just creating it from nothing.
0: So sort of mood music? Yeah,
1: mood mood music in a way. And I mean some some people do this with films either either to kind of get the idea going in advance or to like help out the actors or to help out the director or something. But for video game, you you kind of you're kind of building the game along with everyone else. You're just providing the the audio aspect of it. And so someone might write like a piece of music that's like loopable obviously if you're walking around in one area and then as the level becomes built and designed and and starts to take shape they might say okay we we want more of this sound or we can move this over here or actually we've cut this level entirely so sorry Um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's more of like an overall concept piece and obviously each game has like its own sound and its own instrumentation that it uses to 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 create that that feel for that game I'm like Obviously, thinking of like Bioshock or Bioshock Infinite or even the, uh, I can't remember what, what the title was, but the, the Assassin's Creed with Austin Wintry, who did the composing, where he basically just used like a string quartet. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's really, really cool. So, you, you kind of like work with the director and stuff, but it's an incredibly long process. Obviously, mm-hmm. these games take like years to make. So, you might come in pretty early on and then write a lot of music and then not see a product until it's like maybe a few years later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah so yeah i'd absolutely be interested in doing that and like in independent games obviously that would be really really cool mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think but I, I haven't really connected with with people who are at that level at this point i think sure that'd, that'd be an interesting challenge i think because as opposed to a, a film where you're given a scene and you like start here and stop here yeah yeah i guess <laughs> video it's
0: game's much more intense yeah i guess it's a similar design challenge to other aspects of like games versus other linear forms of narrative storytelling it's just like oh, yeah. you have to obey the whims of what the person with the controller is doing
1: yes <laughs> and the, the way to there's so many things that go on behind the scenes of a video game that it just like blows my mind and I mean like I'm not a super technical person but I cannot even begin to fathom (laughs) the the amount of of just like scripting and and entries and movements that the character is making depending on which way you decide to go but yeah it's it's a cool thing to think about and actually I had a friend of mine who through his, his nerdy magic was able to go into a few video games and kind of extract all the audio cues. Hmm. And so he, he gave it to me on a on a flash drive and I think he did it for he did do it for Bioshock, that's the one that I remember most quickly. So so in a folder I could like play all of the, the audio logs, but then in another folder it was all the music cues. And so from the from the just like looping level music or to the oh my gosh, you've suddenly run across a big daddy and then a the music just like clicks in. It has to work without sounding so jarring that you're taken out of what you're doing right so and and of course like y- you know as soon as you like cross the threshold into a room and the music like shifts you're like oh something bad is gonna happen <laughs> yeah <that's laughs> i'm a <thing>. scared now <laughs> that's the thing i've
0: heard like uh, audio engineers and uh, composers both in the video game uh sector talk about it's like we want to make it such that the there's danger around you music doesn't cue until you see it otherwise it's like a radar
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: It's like if a random wolf is sneaking up on you in Skyrim, you might get a music cue before you get bit on the ankle.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So other than your Bioshocks, uh, any standout video games for music you want to talk about?
1: Huh. That's a good question. Well, sadly, I, I don't have a lot of time to play games. I, I call myself like a, a, a tangential video game nerd because mm. I li- I listen to podcasts where they review games and I, I'll maybe watch a YouTube video of someone playing like five minutes of it. So I'm like up on all of the the latest games. I've just never sat down and played them myself.
0: Just putting your nose up to the glass of video games Literally, going, someday.
1: Just like walking, past. you want to know how behind I am? About a week ago, I started playing Arkham Asylum. Hey-o.
0: <laughs> I believe that so about, was 2008.
1: Ooh. Yeah, I'm about 11
0: years behind. One of my favorite games.
1: Uh, it is fun so far. It's I'll let you game. know how it goes. <laughs> I do really enjoy the Skyrim music. I mean, just kind of on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. I, Austin Wintry as a composer is just, I think he's a, he's a fascinating guy. And he's very, very cool in the way that he approaches things. He, he did a He did a live piece from Journey a few years ago that I got to go see, which was cool. He has music for um i think it's called abzu it's like that underwater yeah. piece where it's it's very i would say that's probably some of the most classical style video game music i've heard very like choral um almost like hymn-like but more like a contemporary hymn sort of thing um what else off the top of my head
0: it looks like uh, his assassin's creed was syndicate by the way
1: syndicate yes the the, the london set one yeah. and that that music is very interesting as well because i mean him and, sorry to use this example again, but Bioshock Infinite, um, they they didn't use uh, like a full orchestral thing. They, they They would probably use some samples with like percussion and just things to make it punchier, but a lot of that music was very just based on a small string section. And you're, you're sitting there and you're looking, I mean, just imagine a room of like five or six string players go like, how can you make scary, terrifying video game music like I'm being attacked by a giant monster? And then you hear some of the the, the cues that they do are just like screeching screeching strings, even if it's only like four people, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah,
0: it seems like so, strings um, would be some of the most versatile to be able to accomplish that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah I think, I don't know, I think some of the more inventive video game music tends to stick with me a bit more mm. if that makes any
0: sense yeah i'd say so and then you mm. have like your fallouts that sort of just use a metric ton of very cheaply <laughs> licensed music to sort of cre- yeah. create the the cognitive dissonance of oh old-timey jazz and zombies
1: yes exactly oh yeah i mean it's all and i think I think that goes more to the point of how, how video game music is, is so different. I, th- I think in video games, the music feels more like a tool than it does in a film, where you're almost part of the audio design team rather than the creative side. I mean, you're still being creative, but your music is like serving a definite purpose. Like, okay, bad guy attacks, bad guy walks away now fade out to this sound whereas mm. in in a film you're like okay i want it to feel more emotional here because the character is feeling a b and c so
0: yeah that makes sense because i mean, uh, there's this great channel that mainly talks about uh fighting games called core gaming uh yeah. which joey turned me on to nice. and uh, they have a you know, really interesting video about how the audio cues in fighting games are so important because in a lot of instances your brain will process sound before image Oh yeah, absolutely. So I, I imagine it's a similar idea, even with musical keys.
1: Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: So turn it back a little bit, about three years ago, got out of Belmont, drive across the country to LA. What what is your emotional state as you're entering <laughs> the the zone of uncertainty?
1: The the, the, the Stephen King bubble dome. Um, I was excited to 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 start kind of what I had thought I was going to be doing ever since I got out of high school. It was. I mean, looking back on it now, so I stayed in Nashville for maybe, like, a few weeks, maybe not even a month, um, with with a friend at a a friend's place before driving west. Um, Looking back now, I probably should have made a few more careful plans (laughs) (laughs) and had, like, a better idea of where I was going or or what I was going to be doing. But I kind of just wanted to to get going. And I I did have a bit of a rough time just, like, finding housing at first. Like, I, I was... I, I crashed with some friends who were like above and beyond generous, mm-hmm. um, um, and and it was a little rough. And I stayed at with some at some sketchy Airbnbs, and then I had another friend like out in Orange County who kind of helped me out. And it was funny because I think once once that all was done, so I had like settled into my first apartment with with a few other Belmont people, and and we had figured it out. I was I remember talking with my mom. And, and she was just kind of laughing, because obviously my parents were checking in on me, making sure I wasn't, like, dead in a ditch. Um, but she was kind of laughing, like, what was going through your mind during all of that stuff where you weren't sure where you were living? Like, did you ever think of coming home or anything? And I'm just like, no, I just, I just knew I'd make it work somehow. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the thought of, like, oh, well, I guess I'm done now, like, never, ever, ever occurred to me. Yeah, if you have that <laughs> thought,
0: you're basically done.
1: Yeah, and if, if you have any doubt, like, that's totally fine. Like, stay where you are. Make some, make some money for the love of God. Yeah. Don't do what I did. <laughs> make some money before before taking the leap or whatever. But I, I don't know. I just had the the thought of like, obviously nervousness a little bit, excitement definitely, but just like, okay, here I go. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the thing. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So how would you characterize? Because I've only, I, A, i have only I never go anywhere. I barely leave <laughs> my place of housing, whether that was pre or post college. How would you characterize LA versus what we are told LA is? Yeah. <laughs>
1: (laughs) That's a very good question.
0: Well, and so I think the the
1: Belmont and Hollywood program was really great because it let me live there for a summer and kind of get a feel for the city. And then mentally you can kind of decide, okay, yeah, I could live here or no, maybe not. And funnily enough, about half of our six-person group decided to live out here and then about half was like, eh, maybe not. Hmm. Um, So that was definitely helpful and and i would i would characterize that time as more of a like vacation sure like i was interning and like working and going to an office but like i'd be there half a day or they'd give me two days off and then i'd like go to the beach or like go to disneyland and of course when you're there you're just like la is great mm-hmm. it's like yeah it's great because you get to like do nothing all day yeah, it's like study abroad
0: <laughs> without the passport yeah
1: <laughs> but out out here la as a city I don't know, it's interesting. And and I'm I'm very glad I went from Wisconsin, Milwaukee-ish to Nashville to LA. Mm. I felt like that was a very good transition cuz Nashville is like just a little bit bigger than Milwaukee, has more going on in terms of entertainment and music and and connections and what have you. But it's it's still a fairly like small town in the grand scheme of things. Oh yeah. And then LA is honestly more of like someone drew a circle around like 15 different small towns and called it Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So of course if you ask where anyone lives in LA, they would be like, I'm on the East side or I'm on the West side or I live in the Valley Um, or like Culver city or Palms or Santa Monica or downtown or Hollywood or Burbank or Glendale. There's there's like a billion different little (laughs) areas and neighbors. So they all kind of have their own flair um, and their, their own vibe, I guess. Mm. But it's, you kind of just have to, see if you can... I, I, I like I like ha- having an adjustment period. Or at, at least, like, coming out here and, and stay with a friend for, like, a few weeks or, or, or a month, or just kind of stay with a family member, like, drive around, see if you can get used to the traffic. Uh, the, the weather is the weather. It's going to be <laughs> nice and beautiful. <laughs> and then people are going to complain when it rains for two out of the 365 days, and then go about their business. So, yeah, the weather's great. the The, the people are honestly, like, Everyone, I, I hear everyone complain about people like in L.A. Oh, they're so fake, and they just want to use you, and blah blah blah. I think you'll find people like that in every city, though. For
0: sure, <laughs> they just all have like different flavors.
1: They have different flavors. They have different accents. They have different things they're getting at. Yeah, the
0: the bougie ness like, manifests in different ways.
1: <laughs> where out there, it's yes. like
0: botox and home remedies is what I have been told by stereotypes. <laughs> and out nice. here, it's like ep release parties oh yeah and i can't think of anything (laughs) else because i don't go out oh
1: yeah for real it's and and it's that thing of like i've I've heard a lot of people coming to la or or think about coming to la ask me that question i'm just like are there fake people are they gonna try to trick me or how do i know i'm just like have you ever been to a party and talked to people and and you can instantly like see like okay i'm gonna get along with you or like ah maybe not or like, all right, you seem cool. And if, if you get a like a weird vibe from anyone, you're just like, I don't know if I like you, then just don't hang out with them. Yeah. I think the problem comes from so like creative people, obviously like composers or, or actors or directors being very, very desperate to try to get any sort of work or get anything out there, will just say yes to every person that comes across their path. And and Yes, it's good to do that, and it's good to have work to an extent. <laughs> like if you ever get a weird vibe from anyone about anything, you don't have to work with them. No? <laughs> That's the beauty of the one—maybe the one of five things that are good about being freelance is that you can decide who to work for <laughs> and with.
0: <laughs> Where in the five things does uh, pajamas rank?
1: Ah. Oh. It's like num- one, one and two. Probably.
0: <laughs> uh, it seems like to some degree you found like a, a form of circle in LA at this point. Was that through just like going to networks and parties and things?
1: It's odd. I, I, it was like a weird combination of... So a little bit of Belmont. I moved out here with, with two other film majors. I, I befriended a few people at work who were like kind of closer to my age. So I kind of um, met them and hung out with them. And then there's a few composers forums on Facebook... Um, who would have meetups, so I would meet a few of them occasionally here and there. Um, And yeah, I mean, like you you start to get a feel for it, and you you start to make friends and kind of see what people are doing. Um, And then, weirdly, (laughs) um, I I became connected with the creators of
0: Phineas and Ferb.
1: I was Um, getting to asking about (laughs) that,
0: because I, for the life of me, could not remember how that
1: connection happened. (laughs) It's hilarious and very, very strange... Um, and it could probably only happen because those two guys are like the, the nicest, most generous, caring, giving human beings on the planet. <laughs> but yeah, I got connected to them through Belmont, funnily enough. I'll, I'll, I'll try to tell a, a quicker version of the story. Um, so my, when was this? This was the summer before my senior year. I was, I was in Nashville taking some summer courses, two degrees, remember, don't do that, um, taking summer courses to catch up, uh, and also interning. So I was interning in Columbia, Tennessee, which is about an hour south of Nashville. Um, there's a guy who lives down there named Rick Clark. God bless him. He's amazing. He used to live in LA, um, moved back to Tennessee, uh, but he works as a TV music supervisor. He just kind of does it remotely. So he usually has a few interns from Belmont, kind of help him around the office, depending on what show he was supervising. Um, At the time, he was working on Hell on Wheels on AMC, which is really fun. So I would go to my classes in the morning during the summer, drive an hour south (laughs) every day, um, help him out, uh, work on cataloging CDs, and then drive back and then do it all again. Um, But I became good friends with him. He was really cool. He, He liked my work. And then I invited him to my recital at uh, it was my senior year, fall semester of senior year. So I October. still have the poster. Oh, my gosh, you have it? I have That's the Back to so the great. Future one, yeah. <laughs> I have one, too. Hey. It's in my room. Um, but, yes, I, I invited him to my recital. And, actually, bef- I think I literally saw this on LinkedIn, funnily enough. I was, I was like, trying to add stuff to my profile, and so I was adding my boss. And it said, like, oh, your bo- uh, Rick Clark is a friend of Swampy Marsh. And I'm like, swamp- Swampy Swampy <laughs> Marsh. <laughs> The the that one? That one the one of the creators of Phineas and First. As in so I think Dan I, like, and Swampy. <laughs> as in dinosaur Swampy Marsh. So I think I like very tried to very casually, but probably failed horrendously. Uh, tried to ask him about it. <laughs> like, hey, do you know Swampy Marsh? Um, and he's like, Oh yeah, we were we were like neighbors when I lived in LA. He used to live in Venice and he would like hang out with him and they became buds. I'm like, Oh, cool. And so at my senior recital, among other things, I closed with a, uh, a transcription of "Summer Belongs to You," which is probably one of my favorite Finis and Ferb songs <laughs> from five. one of their specials. Yeah. Top five, it's so good. Um, but I, of course, I had the whole thing filmed like every Belmont kid. Uh, I, I put it up on YouTube for my friends and family to enjoy, and I, I sent it to Rick. I'm like, "Oh, hey, like if you get the chance, just send it to Swampy. Like it'd be cool if he saw it or whatever." He's like, "Great." Didn't didn't hear anything. Did truly did not expect anything of it at all. I mean, it's an it's a YouTube video, and then what i was in like my music theory class or something um like in january january february and my phone pings and it says like oh swampy marsh just tagged you in a tweet i'm like oh what (laughs) oh what and i guess he had watched the video he had shared it with everyone else um in in his crew at disney they were on a different show at the time but he shared it with them he shared it with dan pavenmeyer who then tweeted it um and so of course little old entrepreneur bethany was like hey (laughs) uh so i I, I messaged him i think just on twitter i'm just like hey i'm gonna be in la like in may could i just like come say hi he's like yeah like come swing by the studio and like that's literally that's what happened (laughs) (laughs) so i i tried to not pee my pants from excitement (laughs) um i got to go meet him he was like very generous very nice just kind of walked around the animation studio. They were making uh, Milo Murphy's Law at the time. Nice. I think season one. So I met him. He introduced me to a ton of the animators. Um, introduced me to Ashley Simpson, who kind of has a similar story to me. She drew some <laughs> Phineas and Ferb fan art, and then they had her come on and do character designs for a special episode. Hmm. Like the, These guys are very, very nice people. <laughs> they post a lot of
0: fan art. They, they, they are post a lot super of duper active art. on Twitter.
1: Oh, yeah. They're just lovely, lovely guys. And they, they, they love supporting supporting those people and, and thanking them for all of their support for the shows and things. So I, I met with Dan and Swampy. Um, met with Dan and they I think they had mentioned, they're like, oh, we're gonna do this or we want to do this little like live presentation of Phineas and Ferb songs like uh, at, at the Rockwell table and stage. are like, do you could you help with that? Do you want to do something? So I'm like, yes. 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 Any please. of the things. You need me to hold
0: the door. <laughs> yes, please. Okay.
1: Any of the things. And so they're like, all right, yeah, let's like pick a few songs. And so we, I think we did like a 20 minute set. I, I took down all the tunes, made some charts for them. We had a few rehearsals and then like Danny Jacob, producer extraordinaire of all the Phineas and Ferb songs you hear, like showed up and played guitar and was just like, it was the most surreal experience. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Dan likes to tell this story all the time. But he's like, yeah, when we, when we met, she was, like, very nice and, like, very professional and, and was just, like, like rehearsals and, like, give us all our music and, like, walk us through it and be really nice. And I think we were at uh, a dinner after one of the rehearsals just, like, chatting. And Dan was just like, oh, so do you, do you watch the show or did you just, like, really like that one song that you did on your recital? And, and I kind of just, like, quietly said, I'm just like, I, I've seen every episode multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> And I think I'm just like I think I'm going to
0: wake up at any moment, and so I just don't. Yep. <laughs> so I, he's like, "Oh, okay." I so don't you know are that fan. I don't know that a fin- a lukewarm Phineas and Ferb fan exists. <laughs>
1: I'm very, very good at putting my emotions in a tiny box in the back of my head, and then unpacking them when I'm out of sight of anyone else. Put that box <laughs> so I would go box. home and, <laughs> and mail that box to myself. So I would go home and like scream into a pillow <laughs> of excitement, but at the, in the room I didn't want to be that person. No. And so I don't know. Maybe I should be a little more forward next time. I <laughs> it got you where you wanted to go. It got me where I wanted to go, I guess. So, yeah, we did the show. It was great. And then uh, about a year later, year and a half later, um, Rick, the the my bot, internship boss who had connected us in the first place, did a live show or did a, did a music fest in Columbia called Mule Town Music Fest because Mule Town is the nickname of Columbia. And so Rick had the amazing idea he's like oh you guys should do the show you guys should do like a whole set of Phineas and Ferb songs and everyone should come out to Tennessee and we're just like oh okay I guess like are you sure he's like yeah (laughs) so we put together about like an hour and a half set Uh, i i put together all the music we we actually got laura dickinson to come sing as well she's the singer on little brothers she is the all of the female voices on the perry the platypus song oh wow Um, she she's done a lot of work for them and she's an amazing singer so we got professional people and then i got to hire a few of my musician friends in nashville which was really cool but yeah we we did that set in in tennessee and like People drove across states. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people flew in from out of town to like meet meet up with their friends and like come see the show. And it was funny because Dan and Swampy weren't I mean they, they were expecting like fans to come, but I don't think they were expecting the amount of people to show right. up that they did. And I kept warning them, I'm like, You guys, you have a ravid fan base. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they will show up and they did and they were surprised. And it was it was really, really cool and everyone had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. So And now I'm friends with Dan and Swampy, which is very odd (laughs) to me as one of the biggest fans of Phineas and Ferb. But
0: yeah, it's kind of how that happened. (laughs) Didn't you get to do something for Milo Murphy recently? I did.
1: It's funny because I I think, so I got to co-write a song with uh, Dan Podmeyer and Martin Olson, who's one of the writers on the show. Hilarious. Mm -hmm. He's so funny. Um, But I actually co-wrote a song with them. I think it must have been like July of 2017. And because it's animation, it takes a hundred years to actually <laughs> get to the TV screen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I got to co-write that for them, and then Danny Jacob produced it. Um, Aaron Jacob, his son, sang on it, which was really cool. Um, but yeah, that was fun. And then um, so Swampy also runs his own animation studio called Surfer Jack Productions, hmm. and they are currently producing Pete the Cat oh, on Amazon yeah, yeah, yeah. Prime. Yeah, it's a it's a very very cool like preschool preschool age. Uh, like kids show Mm -hmm. and so I've gotten to co-write on a few of those songs as well I don't think any of them have aired yet but there will be like one in season two and then a few more in season three Mm -hmm. and there's like a ton of crazy awesome special guests on those shows like diana Krall is in it don was is like the narrator i i always tease swampy that he's just using his show as an excuse to like hang out with musicians he really <laughs> likes <laughs> like uh dave matthews plays a platypus Oh my gosh. um it's it's ridiculous and then elvis costello is also one of the recurring voice artists so it's like yeah it's 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 an excuse but it's a really really cool show really and and the music of course obviously is like awesome it's it's way better than like your typical wheels on the bus preschooler
0: <laughs> kids yeah. music i when i worked in a couple bookstores we sold a lot of pete the cat books it, it's mm-hmm. a very popular thing and they they've had music tie in to that for a long time oh yeah i believe it mm-hmm. well yeah it would co- often come with cds cool now do you, i don't know if you know this i certainly don't is there actually like a platypus in the peak the cat books or do they just have to put a platypus in his <laughs> show contractually obligated to have a platypus in every show no i
1: i don't know um there might there are a lot of different animal creatures and i've, I've seen an image of the platypus i don't think i've pinpointed the the episode that he appears in mm. he, he does not look like perry <laughs> he's not a perry ripoff
0: it, and is, I can not, you he it is not sound Bradley like Bradley him. Baker, I mean, it's not
1: <laughs> it's no, no it's not oh man it's dave matthews but yeah they, they no I, I don't know if there is a platypus it's funny though they have um burrows i guess are the the animals i think they're kind of just like prairie dogs hmm. but they they jokingly named every single burrow with a, a bee name it's like bradley burrow and bill burrow and all that stuff and i think there is a beth burrow somewhere <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now which one did like, your profile picture that i'm sure you're very proud of <laughs> I'm never changing it So that was uh, Dan
1: Dan who is the voice of Doofenshmirtz mm-hmm. drew, drew a picture of Doofenshmirtz Singing lounge singer style At a piano as I play Because one of the songs we did live with, with our first production was The moments when we didn't get along which is actually not sung by Doof in the episode, but we're like, we want, we want to have Doof and sing a song because he's here and it's funny. <laughs> so we kind of change the words to have Doof sing it. And then it's a very slow, like, uh, 80s-style pop ballad with just like a solo piano. And so it's, it's hilarious to hear, like, his, his grating German-ish voice <laughs> singing as I play. So, yes, yeah, so then he drew me that as a gift and I about died. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, man. Uh, before we move on from Phineas and Ferb, I feel like mm-hmm. I have to ask if you still have that video of you doing the the Perry noise with Dee Bradley Baker. <laughs> I do.
1: And that was so that was actually during my summer out here before I had ever met any of these people. He he was at a, a podcast um, and I kind of snagged him outside and, and did the Perry noise for him. And he said, oh, it's pretty good. I'm like, oh, OK, I can <laughs> die.
0: <now." laughs> there we go. There. <laughs> yes yeah that man can do all the things and does do all he's, the things he's terrified
1: i was i was watching something the other night and i was looking up one of the other actors just to see who it was and i scroll past d bradley baker and it's just like oh he was the dog cockroach monster <laughs> of course he was
0: he's a very cool guy did you ever watch clone wars
1: no, I haven't, sadly. Although, it is probably, no, it is definitely going to be available on Disney+, Plus. Yeah. so maybe I will
0: do that. I can get why people some are not, a, a lot of people aren't a fan of that show, because it it does what it sets out to do in a very particular fashion, which is be a certain brand of Star Wars. Yeah. But D. Rowley Baker playing literally every clone <laughs> and making them, like, individual humans that you care <laughs> about so is perfect. incredible.
1: That's so perfect. Oh, yeah, it's... It's crazy. Mm. And it, it takes a, a lot of talent. It's funny, there was actually a, a live reading <laughs> of a musical that Dan and Swampy wrote uh, I think about a month ago. They they did this little like live production at, at Swampy's studios. It's and it's it's not a musical actually, it's a, a movie about a production of a musical. So it's a show within a show. Mm. Um but the, the the show movie is called Dick The Musical because it's uh Moby Dick is, is the, the, the story that the musical is based off oh, of. But it's, it's, oh dear, it's, it's funny and it's, it's sort of a farce, but it, it, it also, it's like an actual movie with, with plot lines and, and has a lot of heart at its center. But of course they called in all of their, all their actor friends to, to come and make an appearance and do the stage reading. And so D, funnily enough, was playing a human person. <laughs> And no no animals. I think they they made him do one fart noise just for the sake of, of having him do something. <laughs> but he was just there speaking in his normal voice. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember what that sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> when he's not a sky bison. No. He, uh, and, and usually he, his speaking voice reminds me of SpongeBob because he has many, many bit parts on SpongeBob. <laughs> so many.
0: On the topic of podcasting, which I say while we're on a podcast, uh, you, mm-hmm. you are recently part of a podcast.
1: I am indeed. It was fun. And, and it is fun, rather. And we... Uh, I, I started it with my friends kind of because we were shaming each other so much for the movies we hadn't seen. <laughs> we were we were getting together to record a special episode of, of one of our friends' podcasts. And so we, we had met but we hadn't really like talked for uh, uh, any long period of time and so over the course of this episode just like oh my god, you haven't seen this? I'm like why what's wrong with you? <laughs> like literally like verbally abusing each other. And we're like, I mean, every movie fan has has a list of movies that they're never going to get to, yeah. or that they, they, they th- trick themselves into thinking they will one day, and then they just watch their favorite movie for the 90th time. Or
0: they tell people <laughs> they're going to put it on their list just as a social nicety because, <laughs> God, I will never watch X.
1: I am never, ever going to watch that, no. So, yeah, so the, the podcast is called It's On My List. Um, it's myself and my lovely group of friends, and every... Every episode, we, we pick a movie that someone in the group hasn't seen. We, usually, we try to hit multiple people, and then we'll, we'll all go and watch it separately and then kind of come together and, and talk about it and talk about why we haven't seen it, why we were avoiding it for any particular reason, <laughs> or, and, and whether or not we, we liked it or disliked it. So like, oh, I'd been avoiding this movie, and I watched it, and I was right, and I hated it, and now I hate all of you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That has happened to me. Yeah, um, but yeah,
1: I, I wrote the uh, the theme music for
0: that. As I did well. wonder. So, ha, yes, yes, that's me. So, how did you come upon like that group of? Po- I, I they make a joke in the episode that I listened to if it's on my list about mm-hmm. how like everyone in LA is doing a podcast at any given moment. <laughs> so, uh, how, how did you happen upon this podcasty crew of humans?
1: Oh man, so this actually ties into the the Phineas thing, strangely enough. So, Cheryl Jones is kind of like the 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 head podcaster of, of all of us. <laughs> she has an excellent podcast called Movies Made Me. I'm giving you a shout out, Cheryl. Um, called Movies Made Me, where she she asks her guest each week to give her the five movies that influenced you the most. So not necessarily your five favorite movies, but the ones that had the biggest effect on your life. Mm. Um, and so she had done an episode, I think, with... Swampy, And so I had dug that up uh, and listened to it, of course, and, and kind of seen what his fav- favorite movies were. And that was that was interesting. And then she she and Brock actually attended the first uh, live Phineas and Ferb show that we did out in L.A., huh. And so they, they wore like, they have like Doofenshmirtz pins and t-shirts and stuff and it was really cool. So that's where I met them for the first time. And then kind of through the the, the course of us knowing each other and us being like tangentially related to one another, we, we hung out a bit more. And then I, I did an episode of Cheryl's podcast. Um, we hung out at a few Surfer Jack get togethers which is Swampy's companies. So then I met um, Joe and Elisa and those guys. And then she had a, I think it was her second anniversary podcast special for for the Movies Made Me podcast. So that was myself and Brock, Joe, Elisa. Um, I don't know if Andrew was there. Andrew had recorded on some other things. But then also Clancy Brown, funnily enough, was, yeah, (laughs) he's a huge fan of of Cheryl's show. He's been on the show before. And so he, he like, graciously came in and and hung out for the the second anniversary podcast special. So I got to sit next to Mr. Krabs, which was amazing (laughs) very nice guy but i I would just have to keep thinking
0: like stop terrorizing superman why (laughs)
1: leave him alone (laughs) it's funny his speaking voice is so i mean it's it's still his voice but it's it's odd to hear him like not yelling
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's true he yells a lot i imagine like cowboys and aliens was the least yelling he's ever done
1: oh wow man that movie that
0: (laughs) that was a film (laughs) That was a, a movie that was made and happened. <laughs> mm. So, for uh, in the practical sense, for it's on my list, mm-hmm. is there like a like a master Google Doc that everyone has there, like a list for?
1: There is, and and God bless Andrew Lindy, who is our recorder, editor, and and list keeper. Um, we we had kind of started. I don't even know if we'd started with a list per se, or if it was, it wasn't very organized. We just kind of like threw out a bunch of movies, either that we liked or that we hadn't seen. We're just like, okay, we'll just do this, 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 and this. And then as we've progressed, we're like, all right, let's figure out which ones we've seen, which ones we haven't seen. Um, we kind of went around and had each person give give two lists. So what are 25 movies that you have never seen that people keep yelling at you about? And then what are 25 movies that you yell at other people to see? Mm. <laughs> and so we then compiled that into a big master Google Doc list with all sorts of colors. And so we can see like, okay, everyone in the group has seen this. Two people haven't seen this one. Three people haven't seen this one. Four people, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So we, we kind of try to pick uh depending on like the the season so we'll maybe do like a spooky one for october or or like a christmasy one for christmas we've seen most of the christmas
0: movies, mm-hmm. though they're hard to avoid
1: they're hard to avoid and, and i mean we're all like we're all cinephiles in the group yeah. so most of us have seen like the big one although shockingly not not all of us hmm. <laughs> which is why it's interesting <laughs> so uh, how
0: often does it come out i don't know if i noticed that
1: uh we try to do it every month hmm. um so once a month i think we've just released the maltese falcon yes uh, which is available Hooray. And we have now started a Patreon. Oh, nice. So you can... Give us a dollar mm-hmm. if you feel like it, and we might be able to put out more right. <laughs> if that happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I listened to an episode over the weekend just you know to know what to talk about. So I had I, I wanted to find an episode of something that you hadn't seen but I had because I didn't Ooh. I didn't want to pick a, an episode of something I hadn't seen. Uh, yes. so that you know I spoil myself for whatever emotions I may elicit. But I wanted to sort of have the frame of reference for the movie, but to see you know mm-hmm. be able to hear your reaction to a film. So that wound up being Dark Crystal. (laughs) I knew you were going to say it.
1: I absolutely oh, knew you were going to say that. I hate it so much, Matt.
0: <laughs> I, I do not blame you, because the first the first time I saw it, uh, I, I was, you know, as uh, someone describes toward the end, I was just a, a Henson person. Like, I grew up loving oh, okay. all Muppet things, so I had to seek that out. And mm-hmm. the first couple times I watched it, I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. The puppets are really awesome. And then I watched it again, like, two years ago and went, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what's happening, and I, I just, just I had to go watch don't. Labyrinth just to make myself happy and be like, oh, oh yes, man. more Henson.
1: Yeah, everyone's everyone kept kept railing at me that like Labyrinth is the thing to go see, which I haven't seen either.
0: It um, I I do think it is better. It's less experimental. That's the crazy thing about Henson yeah. is like the the dichotomy of the amazing palatable things he made and his mm-hmm. desire to make really crazy stuff.
1: Oh yeah, and I think that's really cool, and I'm I'm like very glad that he did that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm glad he he didn't just sit in his like Sesame Street's and Muppets Kingdom and go, "Well, I'm done." Yep. <laughs> Although, I mean,
0: for all of the educational and charitable good Sesame Street has done, oh, no yes. one would blame him. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, uh, book plug for you know anyone interested, uh, mm-hmm. there's a really cool graphic novel that I have called Tale of Sand, Ooh. which is uh, it was a screenplay that uh, Jim Henson and I think crap it was one of the other like mainstays it may have been whitmire uh, mm. the, the two of them co-wrote and it's this crazy like ab- absurdist avant-garde ac- action film essentially oh, it's very strange and you know they made they wrote the screenplay and it came to a point where jim henson had to decide okay like because he's been you know doing all this puppet stuff on late night television and commercials yeah but he and he was making all these weird short films uh, so he had to decide am I going to pursue, you know, making a uh, tale of sand like a full film or do I want to make Sesame Street? Do I want to, you know, try this educational show uh, with mm. the the puppet side of me? And obviously we know which one he picked and I think history yeah. is is better for I it. I think he picked the right one. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> Cuz like a crazy avant-garde film as cool as it could have been, you know, probably be forgotten to some degree or yeah. or a very niche audience. But uh years and years later I think about five or eight years ago, uh, that screenplay was picked up by a short-lived and then bought out car- a comic book company called Archaea.
1: Oh, so they kind of developed it into a graphic. Yeah, they
0: gave the screenplay wow. to a phenomenal artist named Ramon Perez. Wow. Who, who j- like single-handedly produced this, I think it's like 10 by 14 hardcover graphic novel. Oh my God. It's absolutely <laughs> beautiful and a very strange story i'm
1: sure yeah, that's yeah, and that's a cool thing for like henson fans to seek out mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily like i mean it is henson but it's not like a produced film or tv show right? yeah it, <laughs> or
0: even a puppet it's, it's just there it's very much the <laughs> other side of his personality yes
1: yeah. yes so yeah that's a cool that thing. is interesting yeah i did not like dark crystal yeah
0: <laughs> i can't blame you i i will say i was greatly enjoying uh, all of the chamberlain impressions
1: Okay. Mm. Mm. Yes, because Cheryl was sick that day, and so she she texted us, or she texted Brock and was like, all right, you have to read my review, and then we're like, okay, we have to do it in the Chamberlain voice. Yes. And so that was Brock Powell, voice actor extraordinaire. Hey. Oh my gosh. But yeah, that was one of those that I had, I mean, not necessarily actively avoided, but I had like heard it mentioned occasionally, and then I would literally just like see the poster and go, nope, not mm-hmm. for me. Something about it just
0: <laughs> makes you go... <laughs> Ah no, I'm not gonna like that. <laughs> as deeply annoying as Chamberlain is, I really enjoy it. It's it's one of those like that's so dumb, I love it. But yeah, yeah it and is I a can, snooze fest of a film.
1: Oh my god. Uh, now that I'm on the other side of it, I can I can say that I don't even know if I'm glad that I watched it, but I can like I can have fun doing the Chamberlain noise <laughs> and like all the all the fizz gig whatever the hell is going it's on. A coping Uh, For real, though, would not watch again. I mean, and and everyone says the Netflix series is, like, incredible, and I'm sure it is, and I'm never going to watch it.
0: (laughs) I I might give the Netflix a shot simply because my, my rule with remakes and reboots and, you know, resurrections and what have you is I don't care unless you're doing something different of a good thing or you're doing something new of a thing that fell short. Interesting. And Dark, That's a good one Yeah, role. and Dark Crystal is something that had, I think, a lot of potential, and there's a lot of cool artistry about it, but, you know, as you described very eloquently, all of you on the episode, it's it falls short just in execution of being a film. Yeah. So, if like if they can pick up the world and the puppets and do something cool with it, why not? Yeah, then by all means, mm-hmm. please. <laughs> but you, uh, you are a fan of other Henson-y things.
1: Yeah, and strangely enough, I've never seen, like, a full episode of The Muppet Show, oh, wow. which is... Shame on me. Of course I, like grew up with Sesame Street, of course. Um, I'm trying to recall I'm I, I enjoy and appreciate the Muppets, but I haven't like gone and, and sought them out necessarily. I, I think I've seen maybe a few movies, mm-hmm. but not not a ton of them. Yeah. But I I could name you like the Muppet Roster. Sure. <laughs> and they're they're great and cool and like Frank Oz is amazing, of course. True. But like yeah, I I, I love Henson. <laughs> I just don't love Henson. Do you have an favorite Muppet? Oh yes, you can tell a lot by a person's. <laughs> I think, I think growing up like like Sesame Street age, it would probably have been Grover. Sure,
0: Uh Grover's great. Monster at the end of um, this book.
1: Yes, for pure entertainment, I love Animal. <laughs> just because, just because he is every drummer who has ever
0: drummed. <laughs> Um, and if he's and if you know a drummer and you're thinking oh that's not true that's because they drum they get it out it's
1: because they drum. there's a reason there are like broken chains around his wrists it's because you try to restrain them and it doesn't work
0: especially like (laughs) if you're in middle school band practice you cannot restrain Uh, their arms
1: yes the skit with shoot is it is it him and i think cheetah rivera where she sings fever
0: yes oh wait (laughs) that is one of my favorites i don't know if that was her but i do remember the skit you're talking about
1: yes uh that's yes <laughs> yeah that's a good amazing oh, yeah yes.
0: I, I own a few seasons of muppet show It's a, oh, it's a good time
1: uh, rita moreno yes. excuse me rita moreno
0: that's actually a phenomenal episode all the way around yeah, yeah.
1: i i do i need to like sit down and, and and watch a full episode of that sometime i
0: wonder if that'll be disney plus mm,
1: they do own the own oh, Muppets, yeah? don't they
0: they have done uh, some decent things with it since they bought it yeah <laughs> i think it's got to be gonzo for me
1: gonzo gonzo is good I would get Gonzo and Grover mixed up when I was younger. That's reasonable. But now, now I know the difference.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a superhero and a crazy person.
1: Yes. That and a uh, C- Cookie Monster is a classic. We oh, had a we had a Cookie Monster like special VHS tape that I would watch hmm. many, many
0: times. So The Cookie Monster Twitter is very enjoyable.
1: Oh my god, there's a Twitter. There is a Twitter. Oh my god. <laughs> he, he,
0: he tweets frequently about cookies and occasionally like they'll do some kind of like a field trip where Cookie is making an, a celebrity appearance, and they'll put up a video. Oh my! Like God, he sang that's the awesome. seventh inning stretch at a baseball game recently.
1: Oh, I think I did see yeah. that one. Yes, <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, God bless Twitter.
0: So on, it's my list. Well, uh, I there was obviously several that you were the you have not seen it person. Was there one that you are supremely glad that that show made you watch it?
1: Oh, uh, that may be spoilers for
0: the episode. To be fair.
1: <laughs> That's true. Maybe spoilers for the, there's actually one that we haven't released yet hmm. um, that I would say for sure, um, and it's I will say it's a Del Toro film oh. that I had never seen. I was never I'm I'm not a horror person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I won't seek it out um, just because moving images tend to. Stick in my mind longer, <laughs> and and keep me awake at night, and I don't like not being able to sleep. Sure. Uh, um.
0: I, w- yeah. I wonder if Joey can exercise a bleep because we've never done a bleep before. Was it bleep? Yes. Yay. All
1: right. <laughs> I figured out the but riddle. You figured out the riddle. Bleep it, Joey. But yes, that will be our um October episode. So sort of creepyish, Halloweeny. Yeah. Close enough. But yeah, and I, going into that, I had, again, with, without spoiling it, I expected the movie to be something that it wasn't. Mm. And and when I came out of it, or like after having watched it, I'm like, I'm really, really glad I watched that. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, it's, it was it's quite it was a film.
1: Cool. Oh, yeah. It was it was very cool. And I'd, I'd seen, um, I think the only other Del Toro movie that I've seen is Hellboy. Yeah, Hellboy 1. And that was, yeah. Only, yeah, I haven't seen the second one. Mm. Or, or the second one, or the, the, the reboot, which I don't need to see. Yeah, the
0: reboot, <laughs> it didn't look great.
1: Did not no. look like a good idea.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only thing I heard about the reboot was from fans of the comic who went, who, who were of the opinion that it was much closer in, like, tone and plot to the original Mignola comic. Okay, where Yeah, where the Del Toro movies are, it's kind of like... Uh, how the Chris Nolan Dark Knight trilogy I don't really think of as Batman movies. I think of as Chris Nolan movies with Batman in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like absolutely. the Hellboy <laughs> duology that del, uh, del Toro did. They feel like Guillermo del Toro movies with Hellboy characters, and they're really good. Yeah. And like Mike Mignola was there, say, you know, uh, consulting. But yes,
1: but it's still a del Toro
0: very thing. much so. <laughs> uh, uh, Shape of Water was also excellent.
1: I have not seen that. Funnily enough. It's
0: probably. <laughs> I think it's just below. Bleeds for me in in, okay. in his movies, like in my critical brain, in my yes. in my knee brain, is probably still Hellboy.
1: <laughs> okay, interesting. I, I I do want to see it. I'm not opposed to to seeing that one. I think there's a, some other Del Toro films that I'm like that looks a little too
0: creepy. Yeah,
1: <laughs> just a little too
0: much. His first movie is a trip. Oh, uh, Devil's Backbone. Uh, no, actually, uh, he made one in Mexico before that.
1: Oh shoot! But it was still with
0: Ron Perlman. Of course, Ron Perlman played just the only English-speaking person, like an American bodyguard, in this Mexican film. Yeah,
1: (laughs) that's incredible.
0: Uh, Any other major projects going on at the moment besides podcasts and uh, obviously still working Uh, at uh, Joanne Kane?
1: I am still working at Joanne Kane. Um, I've been doing a lot of like very short projects lately but it's been really cool <laughs> um so i i recently got to write the theme song for a travel show that's going to be on amazon prime i think sometime this oh, year cool. um so the show is called our man in japan and it's a british travel show about a guy, a british guy in japan hmm. um if, if you've seen top gear it's it's one of the main top gear guys james oh may. wow yeah so that's
0: what he's doing Grand Tour. So
1: yes post grand tour james may in Japan. He seems like he would so get yes.
0: by the best in Japan because of his yeah. like, very calm demeanor. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to send Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to send Jeremy to any country uh, for an extended <laughs> period, to be fair.
1: We love you, Jeremy. But James is probably a better fit. <laughs> so, yeah, I got to do It's, it's a very short little theme, but it, I guess it'll play on every episode. Cool. So, I'm very glad I got to do that. It was very, very cool. Um, I, I got to co write some of those Pete the Cat songs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually. This was a very cool last-minute project i did um the 16th street baptist church in birmingham alabama um where the uh kkk bombings took place i think in the like 1968 or 69 late 60s um they just renovated their space actually they've renovated the church and i guess they have a little exhibit on the civil rights movement and obviously the role that the church played in it and so there was uh there's like a 15 minute or so documentary that's going to be playing kind of in that area and i was asked to play uh an arrangement of amazing grace over the the end portion of it which was very very cool um very very last minute um but i was very grateful to help out and it's and it's a very very nice documentary kind of on the bombings and and the the four very young girls who were killed and and kind of the impact it had on the area Mm -hmm. and on the civil rights movement so that's a cool thing i got to be involved with recently um and there's there's also a, a feature film that i had a hand in scoring that will probably be in Video on demand around Christmas. It is a entitled a holiday boyfriend, <laughs> and if you love Hallmark Christmas movies, then mm. I have the film for you. There is an audience for that,
0: <laughs> and it oh, is there my is mother. an audience
1: for it. There you go. Well, she's gonna enjoy <laughs> it. It's it's great. He's a the 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 male lead is a sort of a cowboy ranch hand type. So there you go. It's good. I I honestly had fun doing yeah. it. It's fun. I got I got to write a nice little theme and. And it's a it's a, a nice warm fuzzy holiday feature.
0: <laughs> I always like to think, I mean, obviously you weren't doing a specifically Hallmark movie. I like to hope that the people doing the Hallmark movies are having f- like a chill fun time with it <laughs> as opposed to my fear that it's like so super strict in the way that they have made their <laughs> formula that it's just a hellscape. Oh.
1: Actually, it's funny you bring that up. I have a I have a friend out here who usually writes for about two to three of those movies every year. Like, he will write the full score, um, and usually simultaneously, because they kind of drop these all at once.
0: (laughs) Especially the Christmas Um, ones, yeah. We're coming up on, like, the three months of Hallmark Christmas movies.
1: Yes. You wake up on Black Friday, and there's, like, 40 new movies that are streaming. (laughs) But he... I, I, at one point last year I think on Facebook he, he took a picture of his of his house he's just like okay I have a pine candle in every room and a Christmas tree in every corner and I'm ready to go so yes he has fun with the it the spirit of Hallmark is
0: well within this house
1: oh spirit of Hallmark I call upon thee
0: reruns of Murder She Wrote and Mat- Matlock <laughs> yes. that's the other Hallmark channel the Hallmark Movies and Murders or Mysteries or whatever it is Ugh.
1: Murder, murder mystery, Christmas. Oh, let's write it. Let's mm. do it. <laughs> oh, I meant to ask about
0: this sooner. Haven't you done some like um, live orchestras doing sc- uh, score kind of deals, or been involved? Be with Be more specific.
1: <laughs> I feel like <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. oh 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 uh, the the live the film film and concert. Yes, films in concert. Right, got it. Okay, yes <laughs> is the answer. Uh, so uh, this is through work. This is through Joanne K Music Service. We put together a lot of the. Uh, films in concert or films live to picture. So if you're, your local orchestra whether you're in Nashville or, or LA or Kalamazoo uh, which actually has done a lot of our productions hmm. um, can can rent any any movie that we've done. We actually do it through three different production companies. Um, but So we've done Star Wars 4, or 5, 6, 7. We're currently working on 8. Um, we've done most of the john williams catalog or at least the the big ones so like jaws close encounters of the third kind i was very involved with uh jurassic park raiders of the lost ark um uh we we did casino royale last year the 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 newer bond film and actually the project i just finished is skyfall so that's going to be premiering in london i believe next week uh from this recording so the end of september cool royal albert hall um, and last year, uh, I headed up *How to Train Your Dragon* live in concert, uh, which premiered in Lucerne in Switzerland. Which was
0: very, very fun, and I had a
1: ton of fun doing that. Yeah, I, I could assume was my
0: <laughs> there was. I, I can imagine the sort of tension in your body when that slid across your desk. <laughs> You are
1: so, yes, that's very, very accurate. Well, it's funny because at the time, so we, again, we we do this for a lot of different production companies, often simultaneously. So right now, I'm not sure which of these I'm allowed to make public, so I'm not going to say the titles, but we're probably working on anywhere from four to five films in concert at one time. That's a lot of work. (laughs) It takes about, I would say about seven months of work from start to finish to get one of these to the stage. Um, so at the time we, we had a a lot of movies in production and, and I kind of had a meeting with, with my bosses and they're like, all right, we're going to do like these four movies. And it wasn't like, let me know what you want to do, but I kind of like raised my hand. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, Hey, so I know this score like forwards and backwards. And they're like, okay, great. Do it. Like, that'll help.
0: (laughs) And this is what you call spin. (laughs) This, this uh, as opposed that's professional speak for oh my gosh please
1: <laughs> that's professional speak for i'm an obsessive nerd
0: <laughs> i like dragons but yeah
1: it was I, li- I like dragons it was very very cool and and um i i don't know if this will happen more and more but um the the composer usually isn't involved in the production i i think a little bit more with some of the recent films we're doing where we're Trying to get them involved or at least giving them a heads up and say, hey, would you like to come? And so, John Powell graciously came to the premiere. Uh, he came to a few of the rehearsals, um, was was very relaxed, like little to no notes at all. He was kind of just there to enjoy the performance, mm-hmm. but it was very cool having him there and, and kind of setting things up. And, and there's there's a lot of challenges, as you can imagine, in, in taking this from uh, a music track that plays along with the movie to putting it in front of an orchestra. Mm-hmm um endurance for one for, for the musicians <laughs> because a lot of these are just recorded at the stage in like bite-sized pieces or on throughout the course of a week um certainly not like back-to-back <laughs> as people are watching the film um and then a lot of uh, another challenge is like instruments that are out of the ordinary for the orchestra so obviously in, in dragons there's bagpipes there's dulcimer there's uh like ethnic drums all of which an orchestra does not want to pay extra money to hire, because <laughs> why would you? It's, it, it'd be weird and no one knows like a dulcimer player. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll either... Th- there's a f- few solutions. You can either like reorchestrate that. So for example, oh, there's a bagpipes patch here. Oh, that sounds kind of weird. What if we put it in the woodwinds and like the oboes and the bassoons instead? That might yeah. work. Um, or you can map it to a synthesizer, which we we have done a lot and which is what we ended up doing for Dragon for some of those sounds. Um, or you can, you can kind of, uh, mask it with other things, or you can just leave it out and hope no one will (laughs) (laughs) notice. With, uh, with Dragon, I would say there was a lot of reorchestration with the percussion. Um, a lot of the percussion was either samples or like boosted by samples, just kind of helped out. Um, and so we, we had to go back, listen to those scores, figure out where music needed to be added or where more body needed to be given to the orchestra so so that it would become more of a more of an experience for the audience cuz if you're sitting there and you're just listening to the to the brass play it's cool but if you're sitting there and you're listening to the the brass play and you're seeing the the woodwinds kind of doing some special effects and things as well it's it's more of a show than than you you would go see it like your local AMC. Right. so that's a, another weird facet of my sure. job
0: <laughs> yeah sort of half fully at that point
1: yeah and and we we try not to do too much of that because uh, we 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 do have the the dialogue track on its own, uh, the sound effects track on its on its own, and then the the mixer in the hall will kind of control how loud or how quiet those will be depending on on what's going on. Um, I I think one of the bigger and more main challenges is the level of the music, mm-hmm. <laughs> and with certain films it stands out more. I mean, Dragon is a very loud, note-y score as it should be, but sometimes you can't hear what people are saying in the movie. Right. <laughs> so we, we had subtitles running um, both because it was uh, an international audience so the subtitles were in German mm. and just so you could uh, understand what was going yeah. on. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so we'll, we'll try to play with that but a lot of times if there's like, if the audio mixer did a, did a fade for the 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 print version of the film the film that's released to theaters did a fade in the music kind of turned it down to let the character speak and then do it back turn it back up we would add that to the sheet music so we'd give them like a decrescendo maybe stay quiet for a bit maybe even take out some of the the more piercing instruments if it's like a big section and then kind of bring them back in when it makes sense to do that Mm -hmm. so
0: and obviously most of these are like not the full runtime
1: of the film uh yeah it is really it's the full runtime actually and then some so we'll uh, we usually don't do a, an opening for the show but we'll it the the film will start sometimes we'll we'll do the the logo which is kind of cool you'll see the universal logo but then the orchestra will play the hmm. theme live um, the film will run they'll generally put an intermission somewhere in the middle so somewhere where there's like a, an act break that kind of makes sense we'll do a little outro you get your fifteen to twenty minute break to go to the lobby, whatever, come back. And then we'll kind of have an on track. Like you do Like if you were to go see a musical, they would have a little medley of like the themes and then the curtain would come up and you would start acting. Oh, wow. So we, we kind of do that with, with these films as well. We, we try to pick a, a decent chunk of the score, a decent chunk of the main theme, usually something big and exciting to get you back to your <laughs> seats. And then it'll fade back up into the movie wherever we left. Okay, off. Wow. So, Cause
0: I guess I was thinking yeah. of uh, more of a music from concert, but that's a whole nother thing.
1: Oh no. Yeah. And, and, some i i have attended a few of those as well they'll do we call those like clip shows
0: where you'll show a clip of
1: of a film and and not necessarily synced to the orchestra or it's just like a more of a montage and then you kind of play along with Hmm. it um oftentimes we'll we'll edit the end credits for these we'll either like roll them a little faster or in instead of like uh we've for example we've done all the harry potters in concert you can go see anyone you (laughs) want (laughs) one two three four five six seven or eight but we sometimes there'll be like a weird pop song at the end, which obviously would be kind of a downer after just watching a live <laughs> orchestra for two hours. So we'll we'll maybe do a, a different cut of a medley at the end of that, or maybe something a little bit shorter um and then have the the credits crawl on the screen as the audience is leaving um but yeah it's it's definitely adapted it's not just like thrown together (laughs) off off hand there's thought
0: put into these for sure i have also watched how you train how to train your dragon many times so i actually have a couple specific questions (laughs) about that Ooh, Did, uh, (laughs) did you do an arrangement for sticks and stone or did that go away entirely so what we
1: ended up doing, um, and this is different for every movie, um, this is the credit song from How to Train Your
0: Dragon. To be clear to the audience, yes.
1: yes uh, sorry, you non-nerds. <laughs> What's it like? Uh, it's it's a, a great Yancey mm-hmm. song that, that plays during the end credits. So what we did was we took the the final scene and then we faded it into uh, a medley of music from the film. So it fades into Romantic Flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of goes back into what is the end credits in the actual film when it comes up and it's like that big uh, marching drum chorus of the main right. theme. And so then once once that is done, the audience applauds, and then kind of as they're leaving, I think they faded up the, the
0: Yancey song sort of just like as exit mm-hmm. music. But yeah. Cool. So um, I assume you've watched the, doc- the commentary on that?
1: I don't know if Are I Are you have. a commentary If they person? mention anything i i want to be (laughs) (laughs) i i keep thinking of doing it and then i i always find something else to do instead with my time but i i I will pick up like tidbits here and there but i do really want to i think i've done that with like raiders of the lost ark and a few Mm. things but that was when i had time wow what's that like
0: (laughs) but yeah uh what
1: what specific queries so
0: On the commentary for *How to Train Your Dragon*, I think mm, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was just director and maybe somebody else. Uh, there's a scene toward the beginning where, God, it's been too long. I'm forgetting people's names. I've I've
1: seen it seventy-five thousand yes. times. Ah, <laughs> uh,
0: hey.
1: Stoic, yes, Gobber, you. Hiccup, yep, stick, okay. uh, Stoic and Gobber. Stoic.
0: <laughs> yeah, Stoic and Gobber having their conversation, like uh, a sort of about hiccup in the Great Hall. Yes. And they talk in yes. the commentary about how there was sort of a low, somber music there, and then it just didn't feel right, so they cut it, and it's just sort of them talking. What do you do in that kind of instance? Uh-huh. So I can tell you exactly what sure. happened there, and and this
1: happens a lot in in films as they're produced, as they're put together. The, the composer will record the score, um, and then sometimes there will be an edit to the picture, or they'll have to change something for whatever reason. Um, but they don't have time or funds, or they just don't want to go record new music over it. And so usually that's the music editor's job, is to make the music work with whatever new picture they have. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's a creative decision, like, like they said on the commentary, it just didn't feel right, so they just kind of took it out. And in that instance, I can remember, because we have the score for the full cue that was recorded, and then we, we listen to the movie and we, we listen to the music track and we go, oh, so they didn't start until bar like 12. It's like a pickup bar 12 into bar 13. I'm totally making that up. I don't <laughs> know which bar it is. But um, it starts uh, midway into the queue. So then we go, okay, we adapt the score. We, we make an, a new score. And we do this for every queue regardless. We kind of conform everything to our house style. A lot of times these scores go to different orchestrators and so they'll all look a little different. When we're presenting this to an orchestra, we want it all to be the same, conformed. It's like, here's the show, here's what it looks like, here's what you can expect. Um, so we'll, we'll put it into our new score template. We'll say, all right, this starts at bar two. Uh, there's a bassoon solo right here, and then we're into the queue. So we just completely trash the beginning because it's not in the movie. It's not mm-hmm. needed. Um, occasionally, uh, we'll, the opposite will happen, where we want to add a little bit more music to the movie so that the orchestra isn't just sitting there the whole time. Uh, we ended up doing this with Close Encounters, because uh, it's a long movie, first of all. We used the director's cut, I think. Um, and there's a lot of music that John Williams had recorded that ended up being cut from the movie or or cut short. Um, if you've seen the movie, or if anyone's seen the movie, particularly in the, uh, the kidnapping scene, Barry's kidnapping, they... They did, like, a little bit of music in the beginning. I think then it was mainly sound effects in the middle, and then the music picked up again at the end. But in the live concert version, we ran the entire cue that that uh, John Williams had written for it, and it's, it really adds a mm. lot. <laughs> and it's very cool to see the orchestra there. Again, the orchestra is doing more, like, sound effect-type things, but it, it adds a lot to the scene, and if you're, if you're an audience member in a concert hall, you, you kind of want to see the orchestra doing something. So... We'll, we'll kind of uh, arrange and adapt as necessary, but we always start with what was the final product used in the film, even if it's not necessarily what they recorded, if that yeah. makes sense.
0: Uh, speaking of John Williams and thinking back to old internet in the days of forums and such, do yeah. you remember a YouTube video circa 2007 uh, called John Williams is the Man? <laughs> Maybe. It was, it was the acapella thing? Describe it. It oh yeah yeah! That it guy. was a four panel acapella dude just putting star wars yes. lyrics to every john williams main theme that wasn't star wars because i th-
1: yeah because i think he did that as like he was excited that episode three was coming Correct. out or yeah, something cause th- there are lyrics yes. about it it's uh,
0: almost the time for episode long three.
1: time ago far yeah. far away yes that guy uh,
0: <laughs> we frequently watched that in my high school band
1: <laughs> it's <laughs> good a very fun it's a video. great
0: video Cool. I don't think I have any major topics left. Uh, would you like to plug various things?
1: Um. Sure. My name is Bethany Brinton. You can find me on all of the social things by just searching my name. Doo, 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 doo. And then you can find my other podcast. It's on my list uh, anywhere you get your podcast.
0: And is the Patreon just patreon.com slash it's on my list?
1: Yes, I believe it cool. is. Search for us. Please give us a dollar or <laughs> don't. It's your life. Don't let me tell you what and to do.
0: I will search out that link and put in the description of this episode.
1: Awesome. Thank well, you. thank you for joining me.
0: Absolutely. It's been enjoyable catching up. For mm-hmm. sure. I, I need to I need
1: to see you in
0: in real life sometime. I, in <laughs> one state or another. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for and sure. And
0: thank you to everyone uh, out there listening to another episode of Maker's Cast. So I will go ahead and do uh my main plug and get us out of here. So as always, Makers Cast is brought to you by Music City Makers, which is a creative co-op uh, of Nashville artists making stuff that they want to make. So we are on Twitter at Music City Maker, uh, Instagram at Music City Makers, and Etsy.com slash shop slash Music City Makers. And I think that'll do it. So we'll see you all in about a month's time. All righty.